2,611 kilometer western frontier and build new outposts, as well as forts went into action more than a year ago. Afghan Taliban stormed Ghazni City, almost 150 kilometers southwest of Kabul Thursday night. Heavy clashes continued until late Friday morning between the insurgent group and government security forces. At one point, the two sides were fighting in the center of the city, near important government installations, including the offices of the governor and the national directorate for security. The government sent in Afghan special forces, which helped push back Taliban to the outskirts of the city. South Korea said Friday three South Korean companies apparently violated United Nations sanctions by importing nearly 35,000 tons of coal and iron worth nearly $6 million from the north last year. The Korea Customs Service disclosed the results of a 10-month investigation into the shipment Friday and said it will prosecute executives of the company for smuggling or forging documents to say that the North Korean resources came from Russia. The report says coal or pig iron was imported seven times between April and October of last year. U.S. President Donald Trump further escalated tensions with Turkey Friday by announcing a sharp increase in tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. The announcement came two days after a Turkish diplomatic delegation visited Washington in a bid to ease tensions between the two countries. Analysts have warned that the rising U.S.-Turkish tensions are threatening a financial crisis in Turkey. More at VOANews.com. This is VOA News. Russia has denounced a new round of U.S. sanctions. The U.S. State Department says the new sanctions were triggered automatically by long-standing U.S. policies on the U.S. or use of chemical weapons in response to the poisoning of former Russian agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia in the British town of Salisbury. VOA's Cindy Sane reports. The poisoning of Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia with a Russian nerve agent happened five months ago. Moscow is not pleased, but has responded cautiously to the new round of U.S. sanctions. The announcement shook Russia's economy, with the ruble dipping to a two-year low. State Department spokesperson Heather Nauert said President Donald Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have clearly laid out U.S. policy toward Russia. We'd like to have a better relationship with the Russian government, recognizing that we have a lot of areas of mutual concern. Cindy Sane, VOA News. The State Department. International relief agencies are expressing outrage and disgust at a Saudi-led coalition airstrike on Houthi rebels that killed at least 43 people Thursday in Yemen, many of them children. More than 60 people were wounded, and one of the missiles struck a bus, taking children back from a summer school picnic. A U.S. federal judge is warning he might sanction U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions after the deportation of a mother and her daughter who are suing for the right to seek U.S. asylum from violence in Central America. AP's Jackie Quinn. A mother and her daughter who were part of an ACLU lawsuit to be allowed to seek asylum in the U.S. because of violence in El Salvador were deported by Homeland Security while their case was being heard. U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan called that outrageous, that someone seeking justice in a U.S. court was spirited away. He ordered the pair be flown back to the U.S. Sullivan said if Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen don't comply, they could be held in contempt of court. Jackie Quinn, Washington. Zimbabwean opposition leader Tendai Bidi is free on bail after being charged with inciting public violence and unlawfully announcing the results of last year's disputed election. He was deported to Zimbabwe after authorities in neighboring Zambia rejected his bid for asylum. It's a pity that uh, most of Africa, we don't respect uh, the rule of law in the national standards. But uh, we survived. We live to fight another day. I'm glad to be, to be home. And tomorrow we raise uh, the constitutional issues around uh, what happened to me and, uh, and why I'm here. The United Nations Refugee Agency released a statement saying it was gravely concerned about reports of Zambia's refusal to grant him amnesty. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Today is Friday, August 10th. This is VOA's International Edition. I'm Steve Miller in Washington. Coming up, Afghan Taliban storm Ghazni City Thursday night. The heavy clashes continued until late Friday morning. 
We also get an update on the wildfires burning in California. Firefighters are starting uh, to move uh, towards that area because they feel they're, they're uh, having some difficulties over there. A new album drops to help those affected by last year's devastating hurricanes. We'll learn more about that. It's all ahead on today's International Edition. Afghan Taliban storm Ghazni City, roughly 150 kilometers southwest of Kabul Thursday night. VOA's Jeff Custer has that story. Heavy clashes continued into late Friday morning between the insurgent group and government security forces. At one point, the two sides were fighting in the center of the city near important government installations, including the offices of the governor and the National Directorate for Security, Afghanistan's intelligence agency. The provincial police chief said the government sent in Afghan special forces, which helped push the Taliban back to the outskirts of the city. However, he said the Taliban were taking shelter in civilian areas, making the job of the security forces difficult. Residents said fighting continued in parts of the city, particularly in the 2nd District. In a statement posted on its Twitter account, the U.S. military said, U.S. forces responded with close air support this morning in Ghazni. Afghan forces held their ground and maintained control of all government centers. Another failed attempt by the Taliban to seize terrain while creating strategically inconsequential headlines. The Afghan military tweeted they have inflicted heavy casualties on the Taliban in Ghazni, and the district center is in their control. The Kabul-Kandahar highway that passes through Ghazni city was closed. The Taliban claimed they had closed the highway near Madan Wardak in Ghazni and set up checkpoints in several other places. A defense ministry spokesman told the Associated Press that the army was helping the local police and that the security forces were in control of the city. The AP also reported that nine security forces personnel wounded in the attacks were being treated at a local hospital. In a statement sent to media, the Taliban said they launched around a dozen broad-ranged operations in the center of Ghazni province Thursday night and claimed to have captured a large amount of weapons and ammunition. They also claimed to have killed a high number of security forces personnel, but there's been no independent confirmation of those claims. Jeff Custer, VOA News. Russia's prime minister has sternly warned the Trump administration against ramping up sanctions, saying that Moscow will strike back. AP correspondent Charles de la Desma reports. Dmitry Medvedev says if the U.S. introduces sanctions against Russia, as some reports are indicating, Moscow will see this as a declaration of an economic war and will respond accordingly. Medvedev says Russia will retaliate with economic and political means and, if necessary, other means, adding American friends should understand that. The sanctions follow Washington's belief that Moscow had used a deadly nerve agent to poison ex-Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia. Russia has strongly denied involvement in the poisoning. I'm Charles de la Desma. China's top newspaper rebutted growing criticism that Beijing should have taken a lower profile to head off its trade war with the United States. Reuters' Ed Giles has that story. An elephant can't hide. It's a colorful metaphor from Chinese state media on Friday in response to calls for Beijing to step back in its trade war with Washington. The People's Daily said in an editorial that China, the elephant, can't hide behind a sapling. In short, it can't hide its size and strength. The commentary was in response to reports on Thursday that the growing trade conflict is causing rifts within China's ruling Communist Party. Critics had said that an overtly nationalistic position taken by Beijing had pushed the Trump administration to harden its own position in the dispute. But the People's Daily snapped back saying that China had absolutely not brought the trade dispute on itself. It said widespread condemnation of the White House for starting the trade war was correct and that history shows the US has always gone after countries that threaten its dominance, drawing parallels between China and other world powers like Britain and the Soviet Union. However, in a separate column in the People's Daily on Friday, a senior government official was more cautious, writing that the trade war has become the biggest threat to the stability of China's economy. That was Reuters reporter Ed Giles. Among other top stories, the United Nations has called for an independent investigation into the Saudi-led coalition strike on Yemen's Houthi rebels who say it killed at least 50 people and wounded 77, many of them children. U.S. President Donald Trump has doubled tariffs on steel and aluminum to Turkey. Aluminum tariffs will now be 20% and steel 50%. The 
president tweeted, our relations with Turkey are not good at this time. Zimbabwean opposition leader Tendai Biti is free on bail after being charged with inciting public violence and unlawfully announcing the results of last week's disputed election. Expanded coverage of these stories and more are at voanews.com and on the VOA mobile app. This is International Edition. This is Science in a Minute. NASA is making final preparations for the launch of its Parker Solar Probe, which will become the first spacecraft to touch the sun. It's expected to get within a little more than 6 million kilometers from the sun's surface. Launch is currently set for 0730 UTC Saturday, August 11th, from the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida. The unmanned probe will be sent into space aboard one of the world's most powerful rockets. NASA says that the probe is expected to reach speeds as high as 692,000 kilometers per hour to reach its destination, the sun's outer atmosphere or corona. At this speed, the space agency says the Parker Solar Probe will become the fastest spacecraft in history. Mission officials say the spacecraft will provide scientists with fresh data on the sun's activity and will help space weather forecasters make more accurate predictions on events that impact life on Earth. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. VOA's International Edition continues. Aircraft turn hillsides red with retardant as homeowners wet their houses with garden hoses in a battle to contain an arson wildfire, which prompted evacuation orders for more than 20,000 people south of Los Angeles. California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency Thursday night for Orange and Riverside counties as a four-day-old fire carved its way along ridges and hillsides of the Cleveland National Forest. To get more on what's taking place in California, I'm joined on the phone by VOA's Arturo Martinez. Arturo, firefighters are hoping to make some progress on the fire near Lake Elsinore. Uh, What have they been able to do? Well, uh, this fire has grown up uh, since it started earlier this week, and it's uh, been difficult to contain it because of uh, high temperatures and uh, strong winds. Until now, it's contained only around, uh, until yesterday, 5%. So uh, firefighters, even around Mendocino, where I'm uh, based right now, covering the other fires, are starting uh, to move uh, towards that area, they told me this morning, because they feel they're, they're uh, having some difficulties over there as well, and they need their help. So you mentioned the Mendocino Complex Fire. It's the largest in the state's history. Have crews been able to get a handle on that blaze yet? That's uh, correct. It's been declared the biggest uh, fire in California's history. It started around the 27th uh, of July, and uh, till now it's uh, been contained at around uh, 50%. So uh, I've been also talking to some uh, locals that are starting to coming back to their uh, what's left of their uh, home places, and they said the firefighters did a great job. As I drive through the field here, you see everything burned but they pretty much did a good job in saving precisely those uh, home places, although not all of them. I could also speak to some people that had lost completely everything. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, what can you share with us about the car fire, which, of course, has been the summer's deadliest? Yes, up to seven people have been uh, killed by this uh, fire, two firefighters and uh, two children, actually. So it's been the the deadliest and the most uh, catastrophic because it's been closer to uh, civilization, to, uh, you know, cities Mm -hmm. and uh, small localities where uh, it was uh, more dangerous to being uh, surrounded by fire. Because pretty much uh, this one in uh, Mendocino, for example, is uh, pretty much a vineyard and uh, it's very rural. But that one at Car Fire is uh, the most uh, close to um, civilization, as I said. Arturo Martinez is a reporter with VOA's Spanish division. He's near the Mendocino Complex fire. Please stay safe, but uh, thank you for updating us today. I will. Thank you. Vice President Michael Pence says the U.S. military has always been at the forefront of handling new challenges. Now the time has come to write the next great chapter in the history of our armed forces, to prepare for the next battlefield where America's best and bravest will be called to deter and defeat a new generation of threats to our people, 
to our nation. Pence was outlining the administration's plans to create a sixth branch of the armed forces called the Space Force. To get a better understanding of what Vice President Pence's remarks were all about, I'm joined on the phone by VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. It's been a busy day. So what exactly did we learn from the vice president's address at the Pentagon? Well, the main takeaway from this is that the president wants to establish a sixth military service branch. He wants a space force. Now, what the Pentagon has actually rolled out today does not create a space force. However, it does set up the steps needed to eventually get to a space force. The Pentagon is actually setting up a Space Operations Command. Now, that's kind of like our Special Operations Command. The Special Operations Commands take special forces, Navy SEALs, uh, Army Green Berets, ETC, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, uh, and puts them together to help carry out secret missions from hostage rescues to uh, counter-terror efforts. And so the Space Operations Force is going to do kind of the same thing. The Space Operations Force will take different space experts from the military branches and put them together to focus solely on space in the hopes that these people will eventually turn into a space force. So if I understand this correctly, you take folks, the experts from, say, the Navy, the Air Force, the Army, the Marines, perhaps even the Coast Guard, the five existing branches, combine them in this new unit to hopefully evolve to the sixth branch. Exactly. That is the goal. And and so I have to caution, there is not a space force yet. Uh, Vice President Pence said he wanted Congress to hopefully establish the space force by 2020. But the hiccup with the president and with the Pentagon is they can go only a certain Uh, They can only go so far, so they can establish everything needed for Space Force, but Congress is going to be the one that actually establishes the force. Looking at the steps they're taking, it looks like a real possibility in the future. Now, was anything discussed about what this new branch would actually be doing? So this branch will do pretty much the same thing that these separate um, pockets have been doing for years. As of I believe 2002, the space components of the different military branches have been under STRATCOM, U.S. Strategic Command. That command focuses on cyber, it focuses on space, and it also focuses on the nuclear deterrent, our nuclear missiles that we have in our arsenal. And so what proponents of this says is that the Space Force will take that extra burden away from U.S. Strategic Command. Uh, However, people who have been against a separate Space Force say that it is just a duplication of efforts that are already underway. But what the Space Force will actually do is it will continue the military's mission to protect unmanned satellites, and those will be providing things like communications, missile warnings, GPS. They're not going to be a focus on human spaceflight, though. NASA will still continue to handle all of the human spaceflight. Carla Babb is VOA's Pentagon correspondent. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Steve. And this is International Edition. Come celebrate the 60th birthday of legendary queen of pop, Madonna, on Thursday, August 16th, with a very special edition of Border Crossings. Join Larry London as he takes you back through time with a full hour of Madonna's greatest hits. With a career spanning over 35 years, Madonna has given us plenty of songs to choose from. Don't miss Border Crossings on Thursday, August 16th at 1500 Universal, as we pay tribute to one of the greatest pop stars of all time. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of VOA's Encounter. This week, African elections, fallout from a narrow and disputed victory for ZANU-PF in Zimbabwe, and we preview what's at stake for the runoff election in Mali with J. Peter Fahm, director of the Africa Center at the Atlantic Council, and John Tomaszewski, Africa director at the International Republican Institute. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. From the Voice of America, this is International Edition. Met a man wearing a t-shirt, said Virginia is for lovers. Had a Bible in his left hand and a bottle in the other. He said all your... 
Every week, an artist releases a new album. However, Kenny Chesney's new one, Songs for the Saints, is no ordinary affair. Now, to get the down low on this new album and song, <laughs> got Nikki Strong here from VOA One The Hits. Yeah. Nikki, welcome. Hi. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for being and having me here. I like it. All right, Nikki. So what makes country artist Kenny Chesney's new song so special? Well, this album, um, Songs for the Saints, is this um, digital download album, project, mm-hmm. CD. Project. Okay. Uh, Musical <laughs> compilation. There you go. Musical compilation. It, all the proceeds go for hurricane relief. Oh. So this is really special. Um, Kenny Chesney has a home in the Virgin Islands. That So he lives there, and he has lived there for years, like, to escape. When he wants to escape, he goes. So he's very connected to the community there. And when Hurricane Irma and Maria hit, he had, like, 17 people in his home to ride out the storm. And I oh think my. he had several dogs. And these people, they were, they were friends, but they were, like, family. He couldn't get in touch with them. He didn't know what was going on. He finally had to go via helicopter. And what he saw, the devastation that he saw was heartbreaking. Well, and we have more news this week coming out from Puerto Rico about exactly. the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Exactly. Exactly. And so he said he had to do something. He talks about the Virgin Islands as a place, a very spiritual place for him that has informed who he is as a person in his music. And he was like, I have to do something. So it wound up being an album. Like he went into the, he was working on music, but then it just wound up coming together. What it was is he was, he says he was working on Song for the Saints, meaning that one song. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Music is like therapy. And so he had to process what he was experiencing. Um, And he was very instrumental in helping, you know, to get all kinds of relief effort to the island. And in the process of working on new music, just having me working on new music, this album came together. Um, He pulled some people, Ziggy Marley's on it, but he really said, I'm going to galvanize my fan base. And I want to give something back to the island that has given me so much. So even the title song for the saints, it's St. Lucia, you know, it's St. Croix, it's St. John, his place is in St. John. So that's what song for the, for the saints is. And, um, it's a good album. It's very introspective. It's spiritual and it's great. It's a solid Kenny Chesney album. And he's doing this through his foundation, Love for Love? Yes. So now this is interesting. He created his Love for Love City Foundation in 2017 in response to the relief efforts. He wanted to, you know, um, address uh, hurricane relief and make a difference. And so now he is doing it through, now this album, all the proceeds, anything that's connected to the Songs for the Saints um, will go through this foundation and go to relief effort. Um, People can go to KennyChesney.com, actually, to find out more about it. And his name is spelled K-E-N-N-Y-C-H-E-S-N-E-Y dot com. That's fantastic. And as you mentioned, people, you know, from the community have really rallied behind this album. What kinds of songs are on this? Because he's a he's a country and Western Mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's um, some of it has he's always had some songs that have an island feel to him, Mm -hmm. even in his previous in his previous work. So these songs, um, they're country. And they pull upon sounds from the islands, but I wouldn't say this is an island record. I think this is an introspective, um, thoughtful Kenny Chesney um, album. People who like Kenny Chesney will enjoy this album. So it's not like he's, you know, veering off and, and exploring all these different uh, genres of music while he's creating this album. He was he was in a studio and, and he created the music that really that really uh, came to him. People who are not necessarily familiar with Chesney, is is this a representative album of his previous works? Or is this, as you said, more introspective, something more of who it's, he is rather than who he is as an artist? Right. It, it, is, it is part of who he is right now in, in, in processing what's, what's going on. His first single was Get Along. That song is number one right now. 
And when I first heard it, I was like, this is this is a hit. This is Kenny Chesney, and this is a hit. And see, I, I think a lot of times when you, when an artist does something truly from their heart, right. especially when the intention is something like this, right. those kinds of things really happen. Yes, yes. And so I think he did a great job of being introspective and then also, you know, creating the music that is re- reflective of the space that he's in, but also being appealing to his fan base. You can purchase Songs for the Saints or find out more by visiting Kenny Chesney's Love for Love Foundation on his website, KennyChesney.com. Mickey Strong from VOA One The Hits. Thank you so much for stopping by. You can catch up with her on Facebook and Twitter. You've been awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. And finally, on this day back in 1846... The Smithsonian Institution was created. It's the world's largest museum, education, and research complex. The Smithsonian is made up of 19 museums and, of course, the National Zoo. Its mission is to shape the future by preserving our heritage, discovering new knowledge, and sharing its resources with the world. Englishman James Smithson provided the funds for, quote, for the increase and diffusion of knowledge, end quote. And you know what? That is going to be today's international edition. Jackson Mungani directed the program, and Patrick Dea engineered the broadcast. But before I go, I would like to thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. Now, to keep up with the latest pictures, videos, stories, and more, be sure to follow The Voice of America on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I'm Steve Miller in Washington. Have a fantastic Friday, and you know what? Go out and have a wonderful weekend. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. As promised, President Donald Trump has reimposed a series of U.S. nuclear-related sanctions on Iran that had been lifted under the nuclear deal, known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. After the U.S. ceased its participation in the deal in May and a wind-down period of 90 days ended, sanctions went into effect August 7th, targeting, among other things, Iran's purchase or acquisition of U.S. banknotes, its automotive industry, and transactions related to Iran's currency, the rial. All remaining U.S. nuclear-related sanctions, including those targeting Iran's energy sector and transactions by foreign financial institutions with the Central Bank of Iran, will be reimposed on November 5, 2018. In a written statement, President Trump said the United States is fully committed to enforcing all of our sanctions, and we will work closely with nations conducting business with Iran to ensure complete compliance. Individuals or entities that fail to wind down activities with Iran risk severe consequences. President Trump welcomed the decisions by many international firms to leave the Iranian market and noted that several countries have indicated they will end the imports of Iranian oil. We urge all nations, he said, to take such steps to make clear that the Iranian regime faces a choice, either change its threatening, destabilizing behavior and reintegrate with the global economy or continue down a path of economic isolation. U.S. officials have noted that the revenue Iran received because of sanctions relief under the nuclear deal was used to spread terrorism and instability from Syria to Yemen to Gaza and beyond instead of being used to improve the lives of the Iranian people. In his statement, President Trump emphasized that while the United States continues to apply maximum economic pressure on the Iranian regime so that it changes its destructive policies, he remains open to reaching a more comprehensive deal that addresses the full range of the regime's malign activities, including its ballistic missile program and its support for terrorism. In addition, President Trump stressed continued support for the Iranian people, who are the rightful heirs to Iran's rich heritage and the real victims of the regime's policies. We look forward to the day, he said, when the people of Iran and all people across the region can prosper together in safety and peace. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 
Santé. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. This is Dan Friedel, and for VOA's Sunny Young in Washington, welcome to the sunny side of sports. Here on August 10th, we'll bring you some updates on African sports from our intrepid correspondents on the continent. Some news and sports features from Jim Stevenson's The Game Room podcast. A look at the results of the first round of the PGA Championship going on near St. Louis. Some transfer news in English soccer ahead of the Premier League's opening weekend. And a discussion about Fortnite, a video game that is dominating computers and consoles around the world. First off, we're joined by Samson Omale, who has updates on soccer and track and field around Africa. Welcome, Samson. We begin in France, where the FIFA Under-20 Female World Cup is currently underway. Nigeria on Thursday met Haiti, and it was Rashidat Ajibadi's first half penalty kick that gave the girls a 1-0 edge over Haiti in Group D to secure a crucial three points, keeping their knockout round qualification hopes alive. Nigeria's final group game will be against China on Monday. There are four groups of four, with the top two teams progressing to the quarterfinal stage. Ghana, the other African representative, at this year's World Cup hopes of qualifying to the last eight were dashed with a 4-0 defeat to the Netherlands on Wednesday. And staying with the women's football ahead of the Kosafa Cup Women's Championship, South Africa's national women football coach Destry Ellis is pleased with the players' fitness levels considering the fact that the last time the team were in camp was two months ago. Coach Ellis has called the players to his selection camp ahead of the Kosafa Women's Championship which takes place at the end of the month. Well, we're busy qualifying for the World Cup. We just qualified for AFCON. Um, we're going to the Kosafa Cup in September with the holders. Um, obviously, that is part of preparation. Yeah. It's similar. It's a tournament-type um, competition, which is similar to AFCON. And uh, we've never won AFCON, and it would be fantastic to win it this time around because you automatically yeah. then qualify for the World Cup. Former Nigerian international Emmanuel Amuneke is delighted with the opportunity afforded him to coach the Tanzania national team. The former Al Khartoum's gaffer was announced early this week as a new boss of the Taifa Stars after reaching a two-year agreement with the country's federation. 47-year-old coach Amuneke says his appointment is a new challenge as it will afford him a chance to develop football in the East African country. Uh, we are here to see how we can contribute our own ideas to the development of Tanzanian football. Yeah, we are aware that uh, we have a qualification in the AFCON. I think the next game is against Uganda, in Uganda. So I'm much aware of the challenges, I'm much aware of the expectations, but I can also tell you that uh, in football, uh, you don't make much promises. The best thing is you try to be focused and do what is needful for the team. And now to athletics news. The Olympic Commonwealth and 800 meters world champion South Africa's Casta Semaya says she's got her eyes to run faster times in the remaining races for the year. Casta Semaya returned to South Africa after smashing a 25-year-old African record in the 800 meters at the African Athletics Championships in Nigeria. We still believe that we can still go faster. We just put a little bit of distance on hold and then we focus more on 400, 800 meters but obviously top 5 is still uh, the goal. We will still you know, do you know, 3 events. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. Thank you, Samson. I'm always interested in hearing about what's in store for Castor Semenya after she burst onto the scene at the World Championships in 2009 in Berlin. Now let's turn to what some other African women are doing, this time on the soccer field. Mugume Davis Rockaringi joins us with a story on a female soccer goalkeeper in Uganda. <laughs> A throw jumps high to make a save from one of the male players at Uganda Christian University Mokono Playground. Most evenings, 
Aturo and a few other female soccer players must assemble alongside their male counterparts for a soccer training session. Although Aturo loved playing soccer since she was still a little girl, she never knew she would play as a goalkeeper. In fact, she describes her start in the goalposts as in a funny way. We had some small game whereby I was playing with some men and they were like, they didn't have a goalkeeper. So they told me, Ruth, can you please maybe come and stand in our goal and help us do something? But then I told them I don't have the idea of being in goal, but I had to force myself. So when I, I went to goal, I did something good that made everyone appreciate and I saved my team. So from that day onwards is when I started becoming a goalkeeper. And that was in 2013 at Kawembe Secondary School, where she played for the school team as a striker or a forward. That year, she was voted the best goalkeeper after helping her team win Women League Championship. Consequently, she was summoned the national team. I do my extra training. I, I watch clips of the best goalkeepers. I, I watch maybe the Premier League, how those goalkeepers make it in goal. I like watching the Women World Cup teams and my best my role model is Hope Solo from the USA he's my, she's my best goalkeeper and I like watching her clips Another female who trains alongside Aturo is left fullback Sharon Acheng Chiza, her teammate at Lady Cannon's university team She's a friendly person and actually if we're on the pitch she's, she tries to communicate to the, defen to the defensive line and she always tells you what to do, she encourages she encourages you if, like, whether you make a mistake or you conceive the goal, still she, she does that encouraging. Like, you don't give up when actually she's in the goal. And when she's, she's in the goal, you're all comfortable that at least you have someone behind. Peter Frank Seburime, the team manager and coach for the Lady Cannons, agrees. She's willing to learn. She's a good commander in defense. She can organize. He can motivate the defenders so that he can they cannot shoot like he does shots in the goal. You know, girls they are not active and they, they have that tendency that ah, even if he be, but if at all he doesn't have that. Even if he's, he's in training, he's very serious girl. Aturo's main challenge is training and playing with male counterparts whose physique require her to put more energy. But she's taking that as an advantage. Boys make me more sharp and concentrate because their work rate is very much different from ladies. They are so speedy and they're ever maybe on your half. They shoot balls anytime whereby they make you be alert that anytime they're going to make me make a shot in goal. That is the positive part of it. Aturo believes many international scouting agents watch her exploits at the Sekafa tournament where she helped her team emerge second just three points from winners Tanzania. For the Sony side of sports, Ayamugume, Davis Rwakarinji in Kampala, Uganda. Thank you, Mugume. It's great to hear about how women are improving in soccer in Africa. We look forward to following Aturo's progress as she improves in soccer. I'm Dan Friedel, in for Sonny Young in Washington. And you're listening to The Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America. Next up on the show, we're going to hear about some people who are trying to spread the American sport of baseball in Myanmar and get some words of wisdom from Ida Keeling, a 102-year-old woman who just published a book about her life, which included a running world record as a 95-year-old. Those stories are all part of Jim Stevenson's The Game Room podcast, available every week at voanews.com. In Myanmar, the most popular sport is football. But baseball, which is America's national pastime, has carved a small niche for itself thanks to a man from Japan. This is where the game of baseball is literally a small grassroots movement. The infield of an old horse track is now the home field of the Myanmar national baseball team. The club is a collection of part-time players with day jobs. They include maintenance workers, a teacher, a cook, and a taxi driver named Jaw Thoyatun. He's 33 years old, married with two daughters. I drive the car to work for my family and I play baseball because I love it. 
Toro Iwasaki of Japan, the founder of a local private primary school, started the team 18 years ago. The program gets very little financial support from the National Sports Ministry and depends mostly on money from Coach Iwasaki's own pocket to stay afloat. Surely, I like baseball. I like baseball and I'd like to introduce baseball in this country. Spread more. This is my passion. Play ball! On a cloudy afternoon, the Myanmar national team took on a ragtag squad of expatriates from the United States and Japan. I like coming out with the guys and the camaraderie that comes out of it. Mick Amundsen Giesel grew up in America and works as a guidance counselor at an international school in Yangon. But he's competing against the Myanmar national team, a team that he occasionally practices with. It's definitely an American game, but it certainly has uh, Asian aspects here. Like the language that they use and the cheers that they do. You get a sense of baseball's popularity or lack of it in Myanmar by looking at the number of people in the stands. The team prepared a printout explaining the basic rules of the game in the local Burmese language to help fans understand it. Few people are familiar with baseball in Myanmar, where football, also known as soccer, is still king. But taxi driver Jothuyatun has learned to love the game. People don't even know what this uniform is for. In other countries, people know this is a baseball uniform. But here, it's hard to explain what baseball is about. For now, baseball is likely to remain a fringe sport in Myanmar. But this team is making its own contribution, promoting America's national pastime. A 102-year-old woman from New York who set a world record as a runner just seven years ago has published a memoir documenting the achievements and tribulations of her challenging life. Ida Keeling's newly published book is titled Can't Nothing Bring Me Down. Keeling began running in her late 60s. At the age of 95, she set the world record for her age group in the 60-meter race. She is also the first woman in history to complete a 100-meter race at the age of 100. What could have brought her down was the death of her two sons within a year of each other. After they passed away, I just couldn't get over both of them. So I felt like I was going down. I'm already short. I'm getting shorter. I'm getting meaner and I don't want to talk to nobody something went wrong and I blamed myself Neeling says she took up running at her daughter's suggestion I went with this run but while I was running I was feeling my strength and I was feeling like I was coming up out of a hole and I just kept on going. Despite arthritis in her fingers and knees, the 102-year-old starts every morning with stretching and some exercise, including push-ups. She encourages other people to stay physically active regardless of age. Get up and get around. Don't sit around doing nothing. Get up and do something. Sometimes you got things that, well, I don't like to do this. Get up and do it and get rid of it. And look, see how different you feel. It's a big thing. The number of people who live to be 100 is relatively small, but growing. The 2010 census recorded 53,000 centenarians living in the United States, 20,000 more than in 1980. Scientists say good genes are important, but that a healthy lifestyle and exercise contribute to longevity. The Game Room opens with new stories each week or play anytime on voanews.com. Thank you, Jim. You're listening to The Sunny Side of Sports on The Voice of America. I'm Dan Friedel filling in for Sunny here in Washington, D.C. Quickly turning to the Professional Golf Championship in St. Louis this week, The opening round closed on Thursday with Gary Woodland shooting a round best 64 and Ricky Fowler one shot behind. More than 40 golfers were bunched in the group sitting either at one under, even par, or one over. That group included Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. A quick look 
at today's scores show that Woodland is now tied with Kevin Kisner. Kisner is through 13 holes today and shot a six under so far. Brooks Kepka is two shots behind with seven under for the tournament. Now we're joined in studio by Prince Nesta, who has some Nesta nuggets for us ahead of the big opening match later today that starts the English Premier League season. Welcome to the show, Prince. Sporty greetings. Sporty greetings to you too, Dan. So yesterday was the transfer deadline day, Prince, with teams rushing to complete their last-minute deals before the season kicks off. We talked about a few of those big deals yesterday. Anything else happen later in the day? Oh, yeah, it was a day full of drama. Uh, various teams witnessed key signings and departures. Top on the list, Everton were busy in the markets and managed to sign four key players. The Toffees secured the signings of Barcelona's duo Jerry Mina, who plays centre-back and Portuguese midfielder Andre Gomez. They also signed Brazilian international Bernard from Shakhtar Donetsk on a four-year deal and French centre-back Kat Zuma on a season-long loan from Chelsea. Jamie Vardy also signed a new four-year deal at Leicester City, while Crystal Palace secured up Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson also signed a new one-year contract extension to keep him at Selhurst Park until 2020. Ghanaian forward uh, Jordan Ayew also joined Crystal Palace on a season-long loan from Swansea. The 26-year-old said, and I quote, I'm very pleased to be here. It's been a long transfer window, but I finally got a move. The important thing for me now is to get fit and to be in good shape, and I know the manager wants to use me up front and make things happen. Leonardo Ojoa is set, also said to leave Leicester City after signing a permanent deal with an unnamed Mexican club. So, Prince, we remember from a couple years ago that incredible turnaround that Leicester City had. Yeah. How important is it for them to sign Jamie Vardy for four more years and just establish him as the centerpiece of that franchise? It's very important considering the fact that Riyad Mahrez has actually joined Man- uh, Manchester City and, of course, they have lost a prominent, prominent key figure in that particular team. So um, they keep their hopes alive by maintaining the status of uh Leicester City's um, striker, um, Jamie Fadi. So um, any other key or notable names that have been in the conversation in the last uh, 24 hours before we head into a little bit of a talk about the games coming up this weekend? Absolutely. Fulham were also very busy. They also managed to sign Luciano Vieto on a season-long loan from Atletico Madrid. They also signed left-sided midfielder and wing-back Joe Bryan from Bristol City and also got goalkeeper Sergio Rico from Sevilla on a season-long loan. Prince, fans of soccer, English soccer, all over Africa and all over the world, I know friends of mine will be setting their alarms for early tomorrow morning to watch (laughs) some of the matches. Uh, The Premier League season kicks off in a few hours. Who's going to be playing today? Oh, yes, and I'm so excited about that. By the way, I'm also one of those people who are going to be waking up tomorrow very early in the morning. Well, today, Manchester United hosts Leicester City at Old Trafford. And Manchester United will actually, and Manchester United fans won't like this, they will be without Antonio Valencia, Marcos Rojo, Diogo Dalot, Ander Herrera, and Nemanja Vidic, and Nemanja Matic, sorry, who are all injured. And Leicester manager, Claude Puel, will also decide whether to includes striker Jamie Vardy, who just signed a new contract, and defender Henry Maguire, who are both returning late from the World Cup. It will also be interesting to see how Leicester City copes without their dependable attacking midfielder Riyad Mahrez, who just joined Manchester City. And also it's worth noting that Jose Mourinho has never lost an opening day fixture in the Premier League campaign. So, Prince... uh Saturday and Sunday, a couple more games on each day that you have as must-see <laughs> television. Which games will you be watching Saturday and Sunday? Great games lined up this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Newcastle will be hosting Tottenham Hotspurs, while Chelsea will be away to Huddersfield Town. Well, I can't wait for Sunday, Dan. That's when the big match, my team, Arsenal, will be taking on the defending champions, Manchester City, while Liverpool will be taking on West Ham. We shall keep you updated on all 
the scores, fixtures and results right here on the sunny side of sports. Thanks, Prince. It's been a pleasure talking to you <laughs> the last couple of weeks while I've been filling in for Sunny. Anytime. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Now we're joined in studio by VOA intern Alex Hodge. Alex is transitioning to journalism after a couple years of playing American-style football in college. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Alex, I've heard you've been playing one of the most popular video games in the world right now. It's called Fortnite. We've seen the game referenced in pop culture and sports culture worldwide. So I'm a little bit of a gamer myself. I tend to focus on FIFA primarily, and I'm looking forward to the new edition of the game coming out this fall. What can you tell me about how Fortnite works, and how should I get started playing it? Well, Fortnite, it's, it's called a battle royale game where 100 people are loaded up into a bus, and you have to jump from the bus to land on the dystopian future-like land. So the object of the game is to eliminate the other 99 players. So along the way, you have to gather material, which is wood, brick, or stone. Then you have to gather weapons in order to eliminate the other players. So, Alex, uh, can I play this game for free, or does it cost any money to get started? Oh, without a doubt, you can play for free, and you can uh, follow the challenges along the way to unlock new skins or new axe tools or new gliders. It, it, you don't spend a dime. But you can spend money, is that correct? Uh, yes, you can. You spend a lot of money, actually. <laughs> How much money have you spent on this game? I'll say probably 30 to $40 so far. So the, uh, the idea is that you can improve the quality of your player, you can improve the looks of the player, you can buy celebrations of your player. Um, have you heard any stories of people spending tens of thousands of dollars on this game? Oh, without a doubt. Um, I actually follow a YouTuber. His name is iMaverick. He spends about $1,000 a month on Fortnite. You're kidding. Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I'm going to download the game on my console, my PS4, would you suggest I spend a little time first watching videos on YouTube or Twitch to just familiarize myself with what I'm getting into? Yeah, without a doubt. Since the game has been out for about a year now, so people are very experienced at the game, so I would download the game, play for a little bit, get yourself acclimated, and then go into spending money. I see. So have we seen any of uh, sports and Fortnite culture intersections so far this summer? Yes, we have. And that's actually the beauty of Fortnite, how it has that pop culture appeal. So Ninja, who is the number one Fortnite player, he collaborated with Drake, the, uh, the singer, uh, Travis Scott, the rapper, and Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. They actually broke the Twitch stream record for most people to watch on one twi Twitch stream. And I also remember seeing Antoine Greitzman celebrate after scoring a penalty kick goal in the World Cup final match uh, between France and Croatia. What was he doing? So that was one of the most epic moments in sports history because he was doing the, the famous Took the L dance. And he did it after scoring a goal, and it was at the World Cup with millions of people watching. It was epic. So um, tell me about some of the issues that uh, our listeners in Africa might have if they're trying to get into Fortnite. Well, so South Africa is the biggest uh, country in Africa to play uh, video games. And so they don't have that good gaming servers since they're using European servers. So the game is really slow for them, and it causes a lot of problems for them. Uh, one item of note that we were talking about earlier today is that the there is going to be a World Cup for Fortnite starting next year. How much prize money is on the line? $100 million. You think you'll be able to get a piece of that? Oh, I'm definitely going to try. <laughs> um, this time two years ago, Alex... We saw Pokemon Go everywhere. People were walking into trees, falling into water. They were so into that game, and now you hardly hear of anybody playing it. Do you think Fortnite is going to have more staying power than Pokemon Go? Oh, without a doubt. It's, it's totally eclipsed Pokemon Go, without a doubt. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the sunny side of sports. And that wraps up our show for August 10th. 
Thanks to VOA producer Bill Workinger. Thanks also to VOA engineer Patrick Dea. And thank you for tuning in. I'm Dan Friedel in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The people of Zimbabwe recently went to the polls to elect a new president. According to the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, incumbent president Emerson Mngagwa of the ruling ZANU-PF party won the July 30th election by a narrow margin. But the opposition said the results are fraudulent and has challenged the results in court. This election presented Zimbabwe with an historic chance to move beyond the political and economic mismanagement of the past and toward democratic change. The Zimbabwean people turned out massively to cast their votes, underscoring their aspirations for a better future, despite challenges during the pre-election period. Unfortunately, according to international observers, while Election Day itself was peaceful, the period directly after was marred by violence and disproportionate use of deadly force by security forces against protesters. The United States extends its condolences to the families and friends of those killed and injured and calls on the leaders of all parties and their supporters to act peacefully. The United States welcomed the commitment by the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission to release comprehensive and transparent election results, said State Department spokesperson Heather Nauert. The United States will continue to review the data collected by its own observation teams, by international observation missions, and by local observers to make a complete assessment of the overall election. We encourage all stakeholders and citizens to pursue any grievances peacefully and through established legal channels, said Ms. Nauert. And we encourage all political leaders to show magnanimity in victory and graciousness in defeat. The United States remains focused on working with Zimbabwe as its people and government strive towards still-needed comprehensive electoral, political, economic, and human rights reforms. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. If you have a comment, please write to Editorials, VOA, Washington, D.C., 20237, USA. You may also comment and view all our current editorials at the VOA Editorials homepage, www.voanews.com slash editorials. Africa is there. On weekends, tune into Nightline Africa at 1600 and 1800 UTC. And our five-minute newscasts come to you at the top of each hour. VOA Africa, your trusted source of information. host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of VOA's Encounter. This week, African elections, fallout from a narrow and disputed victory for ZANU-PF in Zimbabwe, and we preview what's at stake for the runoff election in Mali. 
with J. Peter Pham, Director of the Africa Center at the Atlantic Council, and John Tomaszewski, Africa Director at the International Republican Institute. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. This is BOA News. I'm Tommy McNeil. U.S. President Donald Trump further escalated tensions with Turkey Friday by announcing a sharp increase in tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. The announcement came two days after Turkish diplomatic delegation visited Washington in a bid to ease tensions between the two countries. Analysts have warned that rising U.S.-Turkish tensions are threatening a financial crisis in Turkey. Afghan Taliban stormed Ghazni City almost 150 kilometers southwest of Kabul Thursday night. BOA's Jeff Custer reports. At one point, the two sides were fighting in the 